Welcome to Mindset Reset Radio. I'm your host, Jess, and I'm on a mission to help female entrepreneurs like you get intentional in life and business. So if you're feeling stuck, you're looking for inspiration, or you just want to be reminded that you're not alone on this crazy entrepreneurial journey, you've landed in the right place. You can join our community of intention getters on Instagram at Jessica Thiefels, that's me, and you can learn more about how I can support you in business and mindset at jessicathiefels.com. Finally, if you love what you hear, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I'll be forever grateful. Now, sit back, grab a journal, and get ready to start living with intention. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Mindset Reset Radio. I'm really excited about this conversation with Stephanie Harrison, who is an expert on happiness and well-being and founded The New Happy based on her graduate studies at the University of Pennsylvania. She's been featured in publications such as Forbes and the Huffington Post and is a frequent keynote speaker on topics including happiness, workplace well-being, burnout, and performance. Previously, Stephanie was a leader at Thrive Global, LinkedIn, and Delaware Consulting. Like a, this is like a serious guest, everyone. Like tune in. <laughs> Welcome, Stephanie. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh my gosh, you are so kind. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah. And also just like to preface it, everybody should go check out the new happy on Instagram. That's how I discovered you. And I love what you're putting out and I can't wait to get into it. Oh, thank Um, you. You're welcome. But before we jump in, tell us a little more about who you are and what you do. Sure. Of course. Um, I, so as you mentioned in in the bio, I've been really passionate about well-being um, and specifically thinking about the different ways in which well-being overlaps with the work that we do, the purpose that we have in that work, how we engage in our communities and in society in general. Um, and my work has been really focused on that in a number of different ways over the years. Um, most recently, as you mentioned, I was lucky to be responsible for building the curriculum and learning at Thrive. And translating a lot of the great research that's out there in uh, all sorts of different areas, psychology, well-being, health, and helping employees at companies around the world to learn how to apply that in their own lives. And then after um, kind of taking, taking some time to consider what it was that I wanted to spend the next phase of my career focused on, it came to me that I was really passionate about talking about some of the pitfalls I think that a lot of us fall into when we're pursuing happiness and well-being and good flourishing meaningful lives. And that's what led to the development of the new happy and all the work that I'm doing now. Awesome. I love it. And I noticed too in your, I think one of your bios I was reading that your research or your studies are in positive psychology. Um, and I feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, and is it, I don't know, would you say it's like a relatively new area of study, positive psychology? Yeah, that's a great question. So really, um, positive psychology kind of came to the, to the field. It's been a part of the study of psychology, but not under that name for a number of different years. A lot of the humanistic psychologists of the sixties, like, I think we all know Maslow of Maslow's hierarchy. Um, they were talking about what it means to live a good life, but what um, my professor and the founder of the field, Dr. Martin Seligman, discovered is that because there have been, there's been so much of a focus on ameliorating the pain and suffering that comes from um, mental health challenges and psychological challenges. And as 
I think we would all say it's very important to alleviate suffering. And it makes sense that we have focused, that psychology as a field has really focused its uh, study and, and uh, attention and energy on that. And, um, but what Marty discovered was that there, the, the absence of pain is not the same thing as flourishing. It's not the same thing as living a good life. And perhaps we needed to devote energy and resources and research into identifying the things that do actually lead to flourishing and meaning in life. And so that was around the year 2000 when that happened. And so really it's been about 20 years of a dedicated field, subfield within psychology focused on that. And um, I think we've all probably seen how that's uh, changed the way that we talk about things. You know, I think we, I would, I would imagine that a lot of us now have a much uh, kind of deeper perspective on things like gratitude and mm-hmm. happiness and mental health. That It's like a literacy that we didn't have previously, along with obviously the focus on ending any sort of stigma related to mental health. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about how it was founded. And I think it's really interesting to, to see how that's evolved over the few, the past few years. Yeah. Really interesting. And you're right. It has, I love the way you put it, um, that we almost have a new literacy around it. You know, I talked to my mom a lot about like how I was raised and like, she said, she was like, I was probably suffering from PTSD, but like no one talked about that in the eighties. Like I didn't, (laughs) wasn't part of the conversation. And so, um, it's interesting. It's amazing to see how far we've come and also how far we still have to go. But, um, so true. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing. Even just thinking back to my own teen years and I can't remember, I went to a quite a progressive high school and I still don't remember any conversations around mental health or warning signs. And I'm just so grateful that this is something that we're talking about and devoting so much more energy to because that knowledge can be so powerful and so important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's transition into similar to what we're talking about here, but a more specific aspect of that topic, which is happiness. Um, <laughs> I feel like it seems like, oh, happiness, like that's been in our literacy forever. Right? <laughs> but like, yeah. But I love what you and the new happy are bringing to the conversation about the science behind it and like what Mm -hmm. happiness really is and how we can make it for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. can you start by like, and I'm sure there's so many areas you can go with this, but kind of like giving us an idea of the science behind happiness, maybe the way that not like the way that we don't think about it right now, but that you've discovered in your studies. Yeah, of course. What a, what a great question. I think, um, the, you know, something that I found really interesting when I was starting to learn and and doing my master's work in this was that we have all these theories about happiness, right. In our own heads Mm -hmm. and it tend to cause a lot of problems. (laughs) Um, so we have these ideas and we pick them up really from our cultural conditioning, from our families, from our childhood experiences, from the media, um, and advertising and now social media and all the rest of it. And, what happens is that once we develop these theories about happiness, we then direct ourselves in that way. Because as you said, happiness has been a concept that's been around forever. And a lot of philosophers argue that happiness is the aim of human life. It is the sole thing to which we are pointing. And at least that's what kind of positive psychology would argue is that, you know, if you ask someone why they're doing something and you keep asking why, eventually you're going to get to the answer to be happy. 
because everything is ultimately going back to that. And so if you have a definition of happiness that revolves around something that actually might harm you in the pursuit of it or in the achievement of it, that can be quite challenging because you end up, for a lot of us, spending all of this time working towards something, thinking it's going to make you happy. And then you get there and you have, you know, a great day, (laughs) a really happy day. And then the feeling dissipates and you're kind of left adrift wondering what it is that you did wrong or why this didn't work out. And a lot of us end up then blaming ourselves and saying, well, I must not be good enough or I'm bad. I chose the wrong thing. And actually it's this next thing I need. And then before you know it, you know, years have passed and you're, you're kind of caught in this, in this cycle. And so for me, that sounds so simple, Mm -hmm. but it was a really fundamental shift in uh, my own experience, but also in starting to notice how these these theories of happiness are perpetuated and how they can uh, take really firm root within us and what it takes to kind of unpack them. And so that's where the research comes into play. And while certainly there are uh, pitfalls with any sort of research and um, it's not always as representative as we want it to be and all the rest of it, it does help to give us more data and more information and see what it is that actually systemically does lead to greater well-being. And so uh, that's where I get really excited because as you said, there's all of this amazing research out there, but where my personal interest and passion lies is how to translate that for people in a way that they can make it useful and at least something to think about, something to consider and a new, a new kind of perspective on things. Yeah. I think there's such a power, like in the personal development space, I think you think about this a lot, like there's the power in understanding the why, like Mm -hmm. the why beneath what's happening with us, beneath the choices that we're making, um, beneath why, why we ended up where we did. And I think that the same can be said for happiness, like why, why am I happy? Or like, what is truly driving that? Like what's happening underneath it? So talk to us about like, what does really make us happy? Like, what have you found in your research? Give us a little bit of the science. Yeah, of course. So, um, I would say that obviously, um, while everyone is different and has different goals and values and context and all that, my perspective, what I'm advocating for with my work and, you know, like to be clear, I, am advocating for this based on what I know from the research is that real lasting happiness comes from extending compassion and service to yourself and others. Mm -hmm. And it's through helping other people and through using what you uniquely have, what we call your gifts, using your gifts to help make the world a little bit of a better place, a little bit happier, brighter for the, the people who are around you that is the pathway towards lasting well-being. And I think that for me, the the fun part about this is it's about the integration of the self, but also the world around you. I think a lot of a lot of us have gotten really wrapped up in the self and in the individualistic mindset that so many of us in the States and other Western cultures have consumed through these messages about happiness that I'm describing. And I think that we've lost sight of the second part of the equation, which is what is the purpose of that self? What is it that you are doing? Why are you growing? Why are you working on yourself? What is it that you, uh, that matters most to you? How can you help people and support them? And so, um, 
it's this pursuit of being of service in a way that is authentic and exciting to you that allows you to experience both the, uh, the self-actualization, but also the pursuit of something greater than yourself, which is a core need for, for humans as well. Yeah. And I'm, as you're explaining this, I'm just so curious, like, can you give us an example of some of the data points that led you to that? Like, how did you come up with that in your research? Yeah. So the, for my, for my master's thesis, I basically proposed this as a theory and I think at the end, I can't remember exactly how many it was, but I think at the end I had like 370 citations of studies um, that kind of created the, the underpinning of this. And, um, you know, there, there's a couple of really key, key studies and discoveries, I think, that have led me, pointed me down this direction that started kind of giving me like the little breadcrumbs and clues um, the first is that this is not a really a new idea. Like it's ironic because I call, I call it new happy, but really like, this is something that ancient philosophers advocated for that we sort of lost sight of along the way. Um, and hearing and kind of piecing together the dots of like, well, if, you know, Aristotle is saying this and if, you know, like, uh, Confucius is saying this in another culture and we're seeing this in what we know from Buddhism and other religious and spiritual traditions, like there all must be some kind of unifying factor around it. And I get really excited when I start to notice those little little breadcrumbs. Um, And then the, the data specifically around relationships and being of service is really compelling. Um, Older adults who volunteer live longer than those who do not. Um, The, extending compassion towards other people has been shown to have a positive impact on your health, on your, the quality of your relationships, your relationship with yourself. When you offer compassion towards yourself, you're actually far more likely to achieve your goals, despite what so many of us have been taught that we need to brutally beat ourselves up in order to be achieving anything. Um, And the other bit is that when we use our strengths and the things that are personally meaningful to us, we are able to experience greater engagement and well-being, um, as well as to find more purpose in our work. And so those are some of the kind of landmark findings, I think, that for me started me wanting to weave it all together in some sort of fashion. Yeah, it all makes so much sense. And I really like you brought you said it a couple of times is the self-compassion aspect of it there's so much conversation around having compassion for self. And especially now we need it more than ever. Like yeah. you said, like we live, especially female entrepreneurs in a very masculine mindset of mm-hmm. go, 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 push, 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 do it. Even if you don't want to do it. Um, and so I like that considering that the overall picture of our happiness, not only compassion to others, but compassion to self is such a key element of that. It's so true. And I, I really couldn't agree more with you. Like if I think about sustainable periods of uh, work and purpose in my life, they've been founded in a sense of kindness towards myself and a sense of like being, recognizing that I'm just a human being doing my best <laughs> and just as, just as you are. And I think that I'm, I'm hopeful that the tide is shifting with the way that we're talking about these things and especially with all of the challenges that so many people have been through over the last 18 months, because, um, you know, it's, 
it's quite, I just think it's so harmful the way that we've come to treat ourselves. And ultimately my belief is that it's because we think those achievements are going to make us happy. And so what we tend to do is we push and we push and we push ourselves and we think, okay, I'm almost there. I've almost got that promotion. I've almost got the the money that I want. I've almost got this or that, whatever it is that we've set our sights on. So we keep pushing and then we get it. But because of what we just talked about, it goes away. The pleasure dissipates. It's not lasting. And then we set our sights on the next target. We don't give ourselves any time to really savor or enjoy it for the most part. We choose the next thing and then we push and we push and we push ourselves. And then it happens over and over again. And this prolonged uh, aggression towards ourselves in per- is coming from a place of like deep longing within us, right? Because we just want to be happy, but we are, it's backfiring on us a lot of the time. Yeah. I, and I, when you say that, it makes me think like, I'm like, I feel like I need to rethink every goal that I have in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, and not in a way of where I want to uproot things, but I want to like put a new lens on it. I want to look at like this idea of what am I trying to achieve to be happy? And like, Mm -hmm. what am I doing between here and then? And how is that affecting my happiness overall? Right. Right. And like, what are you, what do you, what is the cost of that thing that you think is going to make you happy? Right. Like, what is the in the moment cost that you are currently paying? Because sometimes when you look at that, it's shocking. It's like, oh, it's my health. It's my relationships. It's like mm-hmm. all of these things that I value. But because this belief is so deep seated within us, we can kind of just throw that aside because we think we're like almost at the end of the treasure hunt and like the treasure is right there. Um, it's really, really difficult and really ingrained. Yeah. And I can imagine, gosh, I just like see this as like this whole other area of personal development, like true real happiness. Right. Because Mm -hmm. I think about that idea and I think like how fearful people would be to make that shift and to be like, okay, so this is in the moment, this is not making me happy, but I need to get there and I don't know how to get there. So, and I have to have that. I have to make that money. I have to get that client. Like, you know, but you don't, you don't, you have to have that. So then how do you rethink how you get there? I know it's such, it's such a good question. Like I think, and I, it kind of, you know, interestingly, it feels like it kind of goes back to the self-compassion thing because ultimately I think that part of the challenge is that we've, we've come to believe that we're not worthy unless we get the treasure. Right. So if we, if we can accept that no matter what happens, no matter whether or not I'm, I close that deal or get the promotion or whatever it is, I'm still worthy. I'm still a human being who has the exact same amount of worth, whether I'm the CEO of whatever company or whether I'm, you know, doing something completely different. I, I'm still a human being and I'm still worthy and have value. And that is, I think, such a core concept of self-compassion, that extending of worthiness to yourself. And that's where, that's where it becomes so important. I think like it's, it's the underpinning of being able to, to, to take those leaps when you need to. Right. Totally. And, and to prioritize doing the things that really make you happy along the way, which is like, right. Another completely different way of thinking, not like I need to get this done. I need to make this work. It's like, well, how can I get there and be happy and like, and enjoy the process for, yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. It's so true. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's kind of like going for a, like a long walk or something and like the difference between strolling and pushing, like pushing yourself kind of hard. Like what I often find myself asking that when I'm, when I catch myself rushing, because mm. it's so easy to do that, like rush from place to place or, oh, I have to do this. I have to do that and running around. And then all of a sudden, if I am lucky enough to have the awareness in that moment, yeah. which doesn't always happen, um, it's like, oh, actually, what would it, why am I rushing? Like, really, where am I rushing to? There's nowhere I need to go. I'm right here. And I wonder what that mindset might look like when applied to a more macro perspective about like your, your career and what you're working to longer term goals and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That just like coming back to the present and Mm -hmm. like, how can I just enjoy this moment? How can I bring happiness to this moment? Mm -hmm. Um, So talk to me a little bit about like maybe what you've seen in the research and maybe we can just sort of dig in because you've kind of shared a little bit, like how can people create more of that lasting happiness Mm -hmm. in their lives? Hmm. So I think to, to start, I think that it's helpful to consider what, like, I I think a little bit of self awareness and self-worth self-work on the worthiness piece is always really useful just because I, I really can't, it's hard to imagine somebody like navigating our culture without picking up at least a little of that. And for so many people, it's way more than a little because of the challenges that they've been navigating for their whole lives. Um, so I think like a little bit of that, whether, and whatever that looks like, you know, there's so many paths towards starting to honor and value yourself as a person, whether it's learning how to take care of yourself or, um, working on your habits or your beliefs or, um, you know, pursuing, uh, therapy or any other sort of, um, mental health support, coaching, anything like that, I think is always a really useful tool, but I sometimes see people getting stuck when they, and this is kind of going back to what I said at the beginning. A lot of times I see people getting stuck in the whole self bucket and end up spending a lot of time there. And I always advocate for going out and doing, putting a little bit of good out into the world, like pretty much right away, because the sooner that you can, the sooner that you start to do that, the sooner you get feedback about what you like, what you don't like, what makes your heart, like really just burst with joy and happiness, like all of that kind of stuff. And, um, ultimately like, that's the point to me. So, um, what I would say is like, think about one thing in your life that in your whole, in your childhood and your teen years, whatever it was, something that you did that made you feel joyful, made you feel alive, more connected to the world. And, um, that could be anything. And then ask yourself, like, how might I do something with that today? Like what's five minutes I could do, you know, for me, I used to love to paint when I was a kid and I loved art and always did. And I never really allowed myself to do that when I was an adult and starting to do that again, as an adult has been a really joyful experience and has led to all of these funny, crazy things happening. And so, um, like go out and try and share that 
in some way. And once you start doing that, once you start sharing what makes you come alive, things shift. Like, and that sounds like such a a little bit of a cop out, but because you start getting feedback, you start making relationships with people in that space. Like you're, you're on a different path in a place that you were never going to, it was really probably not possible for you to get to before. And it's that radical courage of being able to like stand up and say, I belong here and I want to share what I'm, what's inside of me and like what I feel and think that is really profound. Um, so that's one way to do it. And the other way I also like to advocate to people is especially people who are more interested in the purpose side of things. Like maybe they know that they are, maybe they have an idea of, okay, these are my skills. This is what I like to do. And I'm doing them. Like I have a job or a hobby or whatever it is, but I'm just not really fulfilled. Like I need a deeper purpose. And I think for those people, what I like to advocate is, um, again, we get stuck in this self thing. It's like me and my purpose. But instead the question to ask is what problems do I absolutely just hate to see happening? Like, what is the thing that I would just, if I had a magic wand, what problem would I cure? And we all have answers for that. Right. And we all have different ones because we have different um, experiences and passions and all that. And so then the question becomes, well, how can I use my skills and what I already am doing to help with that in some small way Mm -hmm. and then go out and do something really small and just try it and see how it goes. Um, so those would be like the two different pathways that I tend to, to recommend. I love that. And two things, I want to add one thing to each of those that you said. So the first one being, I love your suggestion about like finding something that you love and then like going out and pursuing that in some way, or what I'm imagining is like, you know, joining like a club, like a painting club. And I, totally. and I think so much as entrepreneurs, we get, because our business is our life, right? Like our world revolves around our business. It's so easy for us to forget about that type of community that we can mm-hmm. create that would bring joy and, and improve our business because it makes us feel better and feel more happy. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I I really, really like that suggestion. And I want to encourage listeners to think about like, how can you put yourself in a community that has nothing to do with your business, but that Mm -hmm. makes you happy or excited. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I love that. And then the, um, the second piece was this idea of for us entrepreneurs and the idea of like, what's the thing I want to start fix. And then how can I use my talents to get there is like, I talk a lot in teaching my clients about marketing and and Instagram, this idea of coming back to a place of service and, mm-hmm. and bringing that. So I even love the idea of like, when you ask that, I'm like, I know what I love. I know what I hate to see is, is mm-hmm. women and female entrepreneurs who don't think that they have the power to make mm-hmm. what they want to make happen. Mm-hmm. And I love like my favorite thing is seeing the light bulb go off or having them message me saying like, I realize blah, blah, blah. Um, and so it makes me think like, okay, how can I like shift back to that being the lens through which I run my business Mm, and really letting that guide you. It's so interesting because it's, it's kind of, it's kind of penalized in a way because we don't have a metric that tracks that kind of stuff, right. Right. In the way that you can track revenue or clients or uh, turnover or whatever it is. And so um, it becomes when I worked at LinkedIn, we had this metric that we used um, with our clients. We were helping uh, companies to use LinkedIn to hire people. 
And we had this metric called impacted hires. And it was the number of people who were impacted by the products that you bought who then came into the organization. Hmm. And I always really loved that and found it really meaningful because it it wasn't perfect as a metric, but it pointed towards the real impact, which was how many lives were touched by like by your organization and the work you were trying to do. And you're right, like getting a message like that must be so wonderful and feel so meaningful. And how do you keep that top of mind as like the grounding and the purpose around what it is that you do seems like a really profound and pers- like meaningful question to explore. Yeah, totally. And I think I want to like caveat all that by saying, yes, that can be the lens. Yes, that can be a motivator, but like you can still be having impact and not hearing that too. And so, <laughs> yeah, which I think there's so much in our world, like, especially in sharing, I, I talk about social media cause I teach it a lot. And like, there's so much that we put so much out there and we just don't know if it's having an impact, mm-hmm. but I think continually just rather than looking at that happiness as like the end goal, it's like the happiness is in, is in coming from the place of service is in sharing your gift is in posting. I call my posts on Instagram, my offerings. So it's oh, like putting my offering out there, like knowing in my heart that it is supportive and providing value and helping women get where I want them to go. And Thank you. And so I think that's just a reminder to listeners. Like, don't, I don't want us to turn this idea of happiness into another thing that like another, another achievement, another metric, right? Like more like it's a pair of glasses that you put on. And I think you're spot on. It's so true. Like, and that's part of the problem. I think we've, we've turned it into yet another version of productivity and of worthiness, right? Like, oh, if I, it's only because other people think what I'm doing is valuable that, and of course it's nice to hear when things go well, but I think you're right. Like it's approaching it from that perspective is a fundamental shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love where this conversation has gone. I love <laughs> these ideas. Um, as we start to wrap things up, can you give us one like last gem or thing that you want to make sure listeners leave with nothing else they leave with this I would say that um if you the silver bullet if you're having a tough time or if you want to feel happier is be kind to yourself or be kind to somebody else or both and just do one or one or both of those things and um see how it see how it goes I I always you know, there are very few, very few silver bullets in my experience, but that one has really, uh, really helped me. And I know that so many people out there are going through a lot of challenges and a lot of really tough experiences. So what, whether you need to be kind to someone else or whether you need to be kind to yourself, um, that would be the one thing that I would leave as a takeaway. Love that. So perfect. And uh, shifting gears, tell us what you're getting intentional about right now. I love this question. Um, I think right now, something I'm getting intentional about is um, giving myself more space, like allowing myself to prioritize and say no or say yes, but later or, um, (laughs) you know, whatever version of that that is. And that's really hard, really tough to, to do when 
you know, for so many of us, I think we're just used to like being like, yeah, just throw another thing at me. Like I can pile it back on, I can carry it all and learning what is okay to put down and what I, how to allow myself to do that. That's, that's where my, um, my energy is at right now. Yeah. That's been such a huge part of my journey over the last few years, creating that space. So I I love that. It's such, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And it's like, my life (laughs) is so different now. Yeah. My life is so different now than it was even a year ago because I put in the work. So, um, finally, where can listeners connect with you? Oh, uh, you can find us on uh, Instagram or Twitter at New Happy Co. And then uh, our website is www.thenewhappy.com. Uh, so you can find us there. And if you uh, want to email me, it's stephanie at thenewhappy.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today and sharing with Thank us. Thank you. It was a lovely chat. I'm so grateful to have been here with you. Yes, absolutely. And thank you to all the listeners who tuned in. We'll catch you on another episode of Mindset Reset Radio.